Hello and welcome to the Persuasion Lab podcast. I'm your host, Moe Damin. The goal of this show is uh, for anyone involved in sales and persuasion uh, and really to help you elevate the uh, success of sales and your own success. Um, success is really not just about the knowledge and skills you acquire, it's actually the person you become. So a lot of our guests today, a lot of the things that we discuss are going to be outside of the traditional sales agenda. So things like, you know, pitches, messaging, cold calling, you know, uh, presentations, etc. You're going to be hearing from guests who are experts in areas like body language, uh, communication, uh, experts in uh, human behavior, uh, even experts on health, if you want to get your body in the right state so that you can perform at the highest level. So uh, one of the things that actually is really powerful for salespeople is improving the cost of customer acquisition, right? And essentially what that means is how do we reduce the number of not so interested leads and buyers that come into our pipeline so that we can focus on the right buyers at the right time who are going to convert as fast as possible and will actually value what you have to sell. And today's guest, is someone that's really gonna help us understand that a lot more. So he is a, a, a veteran uh, marketing expert of 20 years and he has the scars to prove it. Uh, and he uh, founded a company called Radiate B2B. And essentially what Radiate B2B do is, uh, you know, if, if you're selling to an enterprise, what they do is help you uh, identify, um, how, do I, how do I explain this? So basically help you figure out or identify who is researching who your solution. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So, yeah. Figure out who's researching your solution, you know, how to kind of best approach them and even help, you know, make the buyer aware of you before you actually contact them. So it's really interesting. And I, I met him through a, a networking kind of group that we're a part of. And I thought, you know, when I heard what he did, I thought, you know what, we've really got to get him onto this show because this is this is valuable stuff for salespeople. So if you sell to enterprises, now this is the episode for you. Um, so please help me welcome someone who is also a regular guest speaker on the BBC News <laughs> channel, uh, Mr. Riaz Kanani. Riaz, welcome to the show. And I hope I did the introduction justice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Really good be to be here. Um, and always happy to be talking sales and marketing. So, great, great. Well, why don't we start? Why don't we start with the with the really straightforward question, which is, um, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about the Radiate platform? Because what I just shared there sounds almost Nirvana, right? And uh, <laughs> whenever whenever someone hears something that's too good to be true, some you know people's cynicisms, sure. uh, you know, becomes well, they become cynical, right? So, um, yeah. you know, tell us a bit more about Radiate. Uh, the radio platform. Yeah, look, um, I mean, we've been going five years now. And, um, you know, when we first started out, um, we, we actually came at this from a marketing perspective, rather than a sales perspective. And, and um, what we realized was the cost of acquisition was was rocketing um, for marketers. Um, and I sort of took the analogy of the the oil sands in Canada, right? The the when when oil is a hundred dollars a barrel, the oil sands becomes an an economically viable means of of, of getting oil. Um, and it's the same thing here in, in that I felt that the the sort of 
day to day of, of more and more reach, writing more and more content and throwing it out there to generate MQLs for sales, um, we'd got to the point where everyone was doing that. It was more and more noisy and there was a better way. Um, and that better way was really this idea that we actually know an awful lot about a company before they actually even share their contact details with you. And even when they do, with just an email address, you can almost paint a whole big picture about the company, how big they are, where they're located, what they're focused on, are they growing, are they declining, just from an email address, right? You don't need to um, ask as many questions as, as you once needed to do. Um, and so that's where we started. And we, we thought, well, okay, with all this data about companies, what we can do is um, identify those companies on the fly across the internet and place advertising directly in front of just the right people at the right companies. And so rather than in B2B where, let's face it, we're all working in niches in B2B, it's very rare that in the B2B world you want to target everybody in retail. You probably want to target a subset of the retail world. And so, up until now, you've had to go out and do very large scale bit, um, advertising campaigns where most of it was going to people who are not going to be in your market today. And so we thought, brilliant, amazing, great. Um, um, we can build this and it's going to work wonders. And, you know, the great news is we can talk about it with some of the details later, maybe, you know, it worked really, really well. Um, but what we found that was really, really interesting and surprising to me was actually the state of sales development was suffering almost more so because whereas before you could line up 100, you know, 100 calls a day, send bulk email, and you'd get enough coming back in that you could then follow up on and, and, and um, you know, create meetings. Um, and that wasn't working anymore on its own, right? You, you were having to be much more personalized, much more, have much more insight, um, you're having to do social selling, which is a much more time consuming way of doing things um, to start to keep uh, succeeding. And what we realized was, well, actually, if sales development are spending an awful lot of time researching and trying to figure out who is the right person to speak to or the right company to speak to, we could actually help them with that. Um, and so um, we took the ability to identify the companies and said, well, OK, um, on your website, everyone's heard of these real-time streams of, of companies on your website. That's great, but most of them are noise, right? You know, they're your existing customers, they're your partners, they're um, somebody who's looking for a job. And you've got to work your way through all of that noise to get to the little nuggets that are actually valuable. And what we're trying to do is to save salespeople's time, not to throw buckets of data at them to go, here, there's all these companies on your website. And so we took at that data and said, what can we do to actually give people the companies that they want to know about? Who are in their ICP? The ones that are behaving on the website like they are showing um, an interest in the business. And then, of course, doing it's a natural step to then expand that to say, well, OK, what are these companies doing outside of the website across the Internet? And, and you know, are they showing behavior across specific topics that suggest they're spending more time thinking about that topic and therefore in turn are more likely to engage in, and have a conversation around that topic that perhaps 
two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they wouldn't have been interested in, in having. Um, and so and so that's what we've built. And, and we do it in a way that doesn't use any third party data, right? It's a modern platform. It, 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 the idea of falling back on cookies and um, rel being reliant on those sorts of technologies, it's going. Um, and so we've built that platform in a way that doesn't rely on those technologies. So do you help, do you help your clients identify the right types of ICP or do you need them to have some idea of what that is before they engage with you? So most of the time, um, our clients know um, the sorts of companies that they should be going after. Um, sometimes we will be sitting down with them and looking at their data in their CRM systems or, or how, whatever system they're using to say, look, these are the types of companies that are actually matching to this particular type of topic and matching with the sorts of deals that you close. So we can, we're a data tech business. So we can drill into that data, drill into that information to better help um, um, our clients. Let's unpack that a little bit because you talked about not using third-party data, not using kind of being reliant on cookies. Um, so can we can we just dig a little further because this sounds amazing. How do you identify when someone is actively researching your kind of solution, or at least within the category of your yeah, solution? Yeah, yeah. What what do you use to identify that then? So so look so what we can't do is track individuals across the yeah. Well, not legally anyway, and, and so we don't go down that path. Um, we're tracking everything at a company location um, level um, for, the, for the sales intelligence piece. Um, and for the advertising piece, we go a step further and go to persona um, or type of person within a business. Um, and the way we do it is, is through um, basically our own company data that we hold within the business. Um, for identification, for um, how the different relationships between companies in the UK and Europe and, and North America, wherever, um, are so so you know understanding that. Um, uh, let's take um, B and Q, which is a DOI company here in the UK. Right, they're, they're part of a bigger group. How do they? How do we identify them? Can we identify them at that individual brand level, or can we identify them at the group level? How does all that? nitty gritty work that's what our system understands and then we pull in data through partnerships publisher partnerships um data aggregators that allows us to bring that information in and then process it alongside our data to then deliver to our our clients um, and so that data that comes in is always at a company level so we never need the third party cookie at an individual level to actually get the insight that we want we can we can see that company x maybe there's half a dozen employees there that are are um, um showing an increased tendency for a topic right that that's what that's how one of our data partners will um, um collect that information they'll feed that to us um and we'll take that and then present it to the clients so when um okay so so i, I i'm getting a picture of this now what about the the research ecosystem and what i mean by that is although internet is a very large and primary source of research yeah. for a buyer 
Um, because one of the things that you do is you help people, you basically help companies identify when someone's looking at a solution like theirs or is kind of exploring that category. But that, but the internet is not the only source of that information. And for some buyers out there, the, the majority of their research are actually peer-to-peer -peer discussions that they might have. So in a, in a situation like that, how would you kind of capture, capture that interest? How would that manifest itself in a way that you can actually use? Yeah, so there's, there's lots, of, um, lots of ways that people come across um, solutions that they're looking to, you know, problems they're looking to solve, solutions that they're needing. Um, and, and, you know, I talked a bit about the rising acquisition costs. Today, there's so many metrics that point to um, buyers delaying contact with vendors right so so the data that we have in terms of behaviors on website they're much um, less likely to convert on that first visit than they were before um, sort of thing they spend more time anonymously on on the website um, we know that um, vendors on average sorry buyers on average will spend something like 17 18 percent of their of the entire buying process across all vendors so very, very compressed. So that, that means that whereas pre-internet, 95% of the buying um, cycle was spent with vendors. Most of the information was collected from vendors. The internet came, it delayed um, that engagement, and now it's being delayed more and more further along that pipe. Now, yes, there's conversations happening on offline there's, there's word of mouth even online. I mean, you know, if you go into some of the community groups, we run a B2B sales and marketing um, pioneers um, group on, on Guild um, where, um, you know, there's lots of conversations happening about, um, you know, I need, I'm thinking about this sort of solution. What's the best approach? What, what are the drawbacks? That sort of thing, right? And, and that's word of mouth digitally, um, of course. The nice thing, I think, because because much as a marketer or even a salesperson, you want to track everything out there, um, looking at it from the other side and the other, the, the other perspective, let's face it, we don't really want to be tracked every step of the way. Um, there's, there's all these rumors of Facebook um, recording your voice and presenting ads to you afterwards. Um, you know, when you understand the industry, you realize you don't need to understand um, what somebody just had a conversation with to predict how likely they are to be interested in that topic. You know, we work on the advertising side, so we, we do a lot of research around this. We, we know that when you put advertising in front of somebody and they're not interested in that topic, the brain will only consume the, the key message, the brand, right? The, the, um, the very short instant burst there subconsciously. Um, but when you are interested, and when it's something you're thinking about, you will see that ad. Um, and so one of the things, it's partly why we have these two different parts of the platform is that we know that if we go out and put advertising in front of companies, over three months, 20 to 30% of them will engage. And it's amazing how consistent that is across industry, as long as you're selling to enterprise across industry, um, that seems to be the case. Um, and we know that we will spot companies earlier when they're having those word of mouth conversations um, at the very beginning. We'll spot those people because they will see the ad. They will indirectly or directly come to the website of the vendor anonymously. 
um, and engage. And of course, we can we can pick up that activity. Um, but then um, they start to do some research, right? And 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 they're you know they've had the conversations. They're starting to get a picture of what they should be looking for. And then you naturally go to the you do Google searches. You're going to go to some trusted um, publishers, trade publishers, maybe the analysts, um, and 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 talk to those. And suddenly you're starting to do activity online that the 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 data that we ingest. Um, um, will show up, right? So that's a little bit further on across the buying cycle. And then one step further, you, you know, you, you start to, well, now I know what the, exactly what the solution is that I want, the, the you know, the subsector of the SaaS market, the SaaS marketing or sales tech market, where you can go sales or marketing tech platform. You know, there's lots of subcategories, you know, which one you're going for. You click on there, you go into there and you start to look at what the peer reviews are for platforms. You start to shortlist based on there right and then you start to be able to take a feed from from those sorts of platforms that now gives you um an insight as to which companies are at that stage in the buying process and and each one of those is one step further along it's it's kind of like in the old days where i'm going to go back to the marketing side a little bit in terms of you know you would go to an event you would sponsor an event you would get tons and tons of leads but from a sales perspective most of those are not worth talking to today um, but the cost per lead there is very very low um, versus you go to a google search where someone's searching and, and searching for something that obviously suggests a buyer um, is active and that comes in to your um marketing automation system and immediately passes to sales because that's quite clearly somebody who's in market today um, but the cost of that is much much higher on a per lead basis and in some ways you you, you know you're mopping up the people that you didn't identify early and and now you can't wait for that that's the difference right you can't wait for google searches to bring you in by the time that happens they're already talking to two or three companies that they've shortlisted themselves. If you weren't in that list, you're on the back foot. And so we're very focused on that top part there, the anonymous part of the buying journey, which is growing um, and just allows sales to, to focus on who they build relationships with. So help me understand, Riaz, because um, what you describe makes sense. And there's obviously the one of the questions that came to mind was the whole, the whole attribution element, right? <laughs> because that, that's, a, that's a big, as, as we know in the buyer's journey, it's a big journey now. It's a very messy yeah. journey. There's a lot of information from various different sources. Very hard, you know, in, in the heydays of the internet, you know, people saying that it's going to make marketing attribution a lot easier, but actually it's completely the opposite. It's made it, in my view, a lot harder. But one of the things that came to mind when you were describing everything was how do you, what's your view or observation from your clients and their, their buyers around controlling or not, not, not controlling, sorry, around uh, being part of that narrative and dominating the narrative? Because what you described is, it makes sense, but there's also this element of education because before buyer will go and view certain vendors, they've already made a decision about a path or a potential path. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to explore the vendors that are going to help them, help them down that path. So, so where, do you, where have you seen buyers fit in or think about that process? And how do you kind of approach it from that? So, that so I'm not sure that's, so 
if the buyer has no knowledge of the industry that they're looking, you know, the, where, where they're buying from, and they've not been able to succeed from a word of mouth standpoint in terms of identifying somebody, then what you just said is absolutely true. But in reality, most of the time, um, early on in that, um, earlier on in that um, buying cycle, they are mentally identifying who are the companies that are really the best companies in this space. And, and they will naturally be at the top of their shortlist when they get to the shortlisting phase. Um, mm. And, and it, it, we, you know, we're focused on enterprise sales. Enterprise sales is very rarely a pick up the phone, I want to do a deal um, conversation. It, it takes months. There's relationships that are, are, are built there over time. There's an element of, well, I know this person. I've engaged with them a year ago. I'll pick up the phone and have a conversation with him first. You know, any any salesperson knows that the earlier they get into a conversation, the more they're able to guide um, mm. the the sales process. And it's not about brainwashing the the buyer into buying their um, their platform or, or their solution. It's 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 more the case of, you know, everybody in a space is moving generally in this direction. And then each per, each player in that space has got certain nuances that that are geared towards different um, different aspects, and and so the earlier into the process you get, the the more you're able to obviously highlight your differences, and 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 therefore usually if it is a good fit, then you put yourself at the top of the pile um, as you move through that process. And so going back to what you're talking about, look, we we started um, coming at this from an account based marketing standpoint, which um, you know, anyone who, who knows about account-based marketing is the, the running joke is, 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 is it's not just marketing, right? It's sales, it's marketing, it's, it, it, it's everybody who needs to be part of that program to make it succeed. It's never just marketing. Um, and in fact, we'll always fail if sales aren't involved as well. Um, and so we came at this from that approach initially because of exactly what you just talked about, right? Is, is that attribution piece. Um, really what you care about at the top level is your relationship with each individual client, each individual prospect. And how is your relationship with, with one of those? Now, ABM, um, for those that don't know, you know, is all about traditionally a one-to-one -one approach to sales and marketing. So very easy to attribute um, in that scenario. Um, but of course, um, most of us, I mean, to give you an idea, if you take one of those traditional ABM programs, you know, you'll have a marketer who's on this, on, on this project, you have a salesperson who's on this project, you'll probably have someone from product or services included in this thing. You've now got three, maybe four people all sitting down and just talking about one possible client. So you're already talking £100,000, probably £200,000 in cost before you even get to buying all the different things that you need to deliver from a marketing and sales perspective to get in front of them. So running events, buying media, DM, whatever it happens to be, right? So most of the time, most companies cannot afford a traditional ABM approach. The difference is we're able to scale that up to hundreds, low thousands of companies and manage the relationships with those. And so then you brought that, you've now brought the average cost down into the level where if you've got a 25,000 pound annual deal cycle, um, annual contract, sorry, and up, these sorts of scaled ABM approaches become viable. But the beauty is, is that you are able to attribute a lot more. Um, now, 
so you're able to attribute a lot more, but what you're actually attributing is really that last 20, 30% tops of the buying cycle, because that's the bit you can see. And that's the big change. So in the last 12, 24 months, you've seen an increasing amount of conversation about the dark front, um, which is marketing for basically saying something that's been happening all the time. Like in marketing, we love to come up with fancy terms that, that basically is something that's always been around, um, right? you talked about it earlier right you talked about the fact that people go and talk to other people um, about things you can't track that um somebody sees um a linkedin live that we run every month right unless you click attend i don't know you but you've seen that video um and all the posts that i push out through linkedin you know we'll get we ask the question um of people of how did you hear about us right um and we do a lot on LinkedIn. Um, and so a whole bunch of the time, LinkedIn will come up, but there's no attribution at an individual level or company level to us to identify that. And so that that's partly where our work comes in. And so what we measure to measure success is uplifts in, you know, how, how, how more likely are you to have a call with that company if we've identified it how much more likely is it to get to a demo stage and then how much more likely is it get to get to an actual closed opportunity um and those are the uplifts that we then measure against um, mm. okay that yeah, makes sense and, and and you talked about customer acquisition earlier now i've heard can't remember the exact number something around in the 60s percentile right i think it might have been 62 or 66 percent uh, customer acquisition cost has gone up by 60, 60 odd percent in the last five years. What numbers okay. are you seeing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it, it does vary um, by your target market. Um, to give you an idea, I think, what is it, 10 years ago, you know, we would see acquisition costs of 3K, 4K, I guess, um, for targeting mid-market as a SaaS business. You know, it's at least double that um, today. Um, and that's simply because um, you've got to invest more in content um, than you did there. And you've got to invest more in reach than you did there. And reach is, um, you know, when you talk about reach, you know, you're talking about having to do acquisition campaigns um, and the CPM costs have risen. Um, um, you know, you look at LinkedIn in the last two years, in the space of three months when lockdown happened, it went up 40%. I mean, it was huge. It, was, it, was, it wasn't even subtle, right? Um, um, and, and so you do have to be aware uh, of that. And, and at the end of the day, that means if you're a CMO, the following year, you're going cap in hand to the CEO. And, and if you get the same budget and aren't able to invest more, the quality of the, either the, either the number of, sales qualified leads, marketing qualified leads is going to drop or the quality is going to drop one or the other. And the CMO will probably get targeted on the number of MQLs. So guess what? Number of MQLs isn't going to drop because it means he's, that he or she has missed the bonus. So, um, yeah. so quality's dropped. Um, and, and so we, but in my, you know, the way I look at the world, we're moving away, thankfully, from this idea of an MQL and, and, you know the 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 marketing team tossing a lead over the fence to, mm. to the sales team right and then the sales team picking it up and running with it for me today the sales and the marketing team have to be working together they have to be um 
you know, it's, it's a two-way conversation between the two, um, you know, and only then does it work. Yeah, I mean, I've long said the MQL is a, is, a, is a ridiculous KPI to target marketing on and to incentivize them on. Um, you know, at the very least, it should be SQL, but that's the most basic of maturity. Um, yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I, I guess what you're saying. And what was interesting from what you described is, you know, I don't know if you've heard of a company, I think it's Connect and Sell. Um, you know, they, they do outbound um, okay. cold calling support for companies. They've analyzed millions upon millions of calls. And, you know, the average, the average conversion rate of a cold call is one in 37. And if you're talking to an IT person or a technology person, yeah. it's one in 48. Yeah. And, then, and then out of that one, um, and if you put them all together, barely 2% get, um, get any sort of traction. And then out of that, you know, another 2 or 1% get, move on to a deal of any kind. So right. the numbers are horrendous. Yeah. Uh, and with cost of customer acquisition going up and just incredibly ineffective and inefficient means of uh, dialing out in order to get an effective or, or even just outbound in order to get an effective conversation, which then leads to a sale. You're talking about a hugely leaky bucket. I mean, it's not even a leaky bucket anymore. The bucket's just got a hole at the bottom. The water. Um, that's it. Yeah, exactly. There's no water being retained or barely any. Um, so, so what what you're describing makes complete sense. Uh, uh, you know, and it should be something that sales teams and leaders and business leaders are looking at. Talk to me about. Um, you, you've been doing this for five years. I'm really interested to hear from you about the insights that you've gathered from the buyer's perspective now. Right. So, so what yeah. have you observed in in terms of, and, and maybe you haven't. So, if, if that's the case, that's great. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. But, 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 what have you, what have you observed from the buyer's perspective and their engagement with salespeople, particularly if salespeople are engaging with them at that opportune moment? Yeah. Look, there's, there's, so there's a bunch of things. Some, some I talked about already. Right, the twenty to thirty percent that will engage every quarter from the advertising. That, that's sort of step one. Us, we know that when you um, um, use that data, the sales intelligence data, to um, um, to figure out whether there is intent there or, or, or potential interest. Um, you know, if you're sending the right um, emails, or you're personalising it to you know to the to the need, if you like, right? So not necessarily. Um, actually. There's an interesting concept I keep meaning to write a post about, right? Is this this idea of personalization versus relevance? Yes. Right? Everyone talks about personalization. The simple reality is unless you are selling very high value deals, personalization is almost impossible for a sales development person to do right down to an individual basis. Um, you do do it when it's high value, when 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 you know, um, and, in, and for a certain part of your ICP, but the smaller your um, contract value the less that becomes possible and so you have to figure out a message um, that um, chimes with the recipient but at the same time is not necessarily personal to them um, and actually it, it was Nadia over at um, Lempire um, who um, you know came on to a session um, and, and was talking around that. And, and, and it really got me thinking about that relevance versus personalization piece. And so when you are relevant in your emails, to go back to the stat, when you're relevant in those emails and they, they match, then you can see a 3x uplift in um, clicks or 
response from the email. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's not, we all search for a silver bullet. It's not going to be a silver bullet on its own, any tech. It's always going to be partnering tech up with good messaging that understands your audience that, um, um, you know, that then cuts through. Um, so, so that's probably one of the other learnings. I, I think I touched on it as well around, um, you know, we obviously monitor um, the, the people coming to our clients' websites and, and the delay in um, um, conversion, if you like. And, and we haven't done the research for a few years now, but uh, um, before that, you know, we were seeing anything like a four week at least delay um, in that conversion happening. Um, so, and, and I, I've seen nothing to suggest that's got better. Um, and, Is that and across you, the board? Is that across the board in terms was, of whatever, uh, whatever the deal size or? So, yeah, so selling to enterprise, all our data is always for selling to enterprise. Um, I, I guess I should say most of that data that we did the research on for that particular stuff was tech because we had enough right. data there for tech to be able to understand that. Um, mm. But we don't see... Um, you know, the alongside that LinkedIn did some research around the the changing buyer um, a couple of years ago, and you were talking about um, you know the the, the metrics um, that are in place for um, conversion of calls. Um, you know that research showed that they were much less likely to um, pick up the phone. Um, and engage much more likely to ignore um, but interestingly counter to that they were much more likely to um to shortlist mentally based on their brand awareness brand impression brand impression of a, of a company right so so kind of like the old saying if you buy ibm you don't get you know, you, 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 your job's safe, right? Won't get fired, yeah. So it's so, so long ago now, I can barely remember it. But, but you know, there was that saying. And, and, um, and that seemed to diminish uh, um, in, the, in the 2000s, where, where basically, you know, you had the ability to really mould your audience with, with, you know, your benefits and your capabilities. Um, but the, the percentage of importance on brand, your place in the market, how you how you are engaging with the world, so so you know the activism side to um, a company are they are they pro climate change are they are they you know looking after their employees are they are they supporting their local communities all these sorts of things that you know 10, 20 years ago would not have been very high up um, a um, uh, you know your list to, to be worrying about unless you are a big major public corporation mm. in which case the various CSR policies would, would play a part mm. um, and so mm. that that change also plays an impact but actually for me I think from a sales perspective that's actually good because it gives you more to talk about if all you can talk about is your features and capabilities um, and that's all your competition are talking about it's quite difficult to to stand out um, yeah. So there's yeah. there's more opportunity, I think, if you're clever about it, um, to really stand out and, and show your capability, not just in the email and the phone call, but more broadly across social media, across events, whatever it is you're doing. Right? Yeah. And that's the dominating narrative that I was talking about, actually, because, um, you know, 
let's take an HR example, right? You've got a head of HR, they're trying to increase an employee value proposition, which is a big yeah. term on its own, right? Yeah. There are several levers um, in, in that they can pull and use in order to achieve that objective. Yeah. And the question really is, which lever do I pull because it's going to give me the most return for the effort that's put in there or the resource that's put yes. in there. Yeah. And, and if you're selling a particular solution, you may feel that lever one and two is going to give you far more results than levers three and four. Yeah. And, and it's at that early stage of the, of the decision-making process or the consideration process that I'm okay. talking about. And I think that's where marketing comes in and should come in that's really powerful but they should also be helping sales. In fact, both of them should be working together. And That's right. that, leads, that leads me to one question that I really wanted to ask you, which is we know that sales and marketing have to work really close together. In fact, in, in companies where I've seen this happen, in fact, I, I work with a client of mine where I'm a fractional commercial leader there mm -hmm. and I'm responsible for marketing and, and that's how it should be in some respects, or at least at least marketing must be very closely aligned with sales yeah. in order for them to work on each other's strengths and therefore really capture and dominate the market in the best way. How have you seen, I mean, you come from the marketing side, but now you're working with salespeople. Where have you seen sales and marketing work really well together? And, and how, how do you ensure that that happens? I think everyone talks about how different marketing and sales is, right? And they are different. Um, yeah, but they're two sides of the same coin, right? Sure. They are. Oh, absolutely. They are two sides of the same coin, um, but they are very different. They have different needs, mm. different way, different things that they are focused on. But it's really important that you, you can almost split marketing into, into two, maybe three areas, right? Um, you've, got, you've got the brand and the long-term perspective of the marketing, which honestly, in the last 10, 15 years, has really diminished. Right. The, 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 oh, that's the, interesting. And I think that's wrong. I think it's absolutely wrong because because mm. if you are so short term focused, go back to the example I talked about before about the Google search versus um, event sponsorship. You're basically paying over the odds for your um, for your contracts. And so um, and you're talking about B2B here, right? Not I'm talking B2C. B2B specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I agree yeah. with that for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And so um, so you've got that part of marketing now. Now. There's parts of what's going on there that sales should be inputting feedback to. What's going on in the market? What are they seeing? You know, that sort of real-time view of what's happening. Um, but a large part of marketing, what's obviously grown, especially in the last 10 years, is the operational side of marketing. The bit about nurturing, building those relationships. And, and for the last 10 years, that's been half the buying cycle. Today, that's like 20% of the buying cycle. And so suddenly marketing is having to spread out a little bit further and go outside of their bubble. And of course, now you enter the realms of sales development because that's really what the sales development role was. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd go to an event um, and I'd, you know, hand over my business card, I have my badge scanned and I'd come back and the following day, I'd get an email from the sales development rep and I'd get an email from the marketing person, both basically saying the same thing, the marketing person, typically a little bit more generic, a little bit more brand, um, you know, color, the logos there and everything. The sales guys sent, sent me a text email, right? Which one am I more likely to respond to? Probably the sales email, right? So, so marketing and sales should be working together there and saying, look, we shouldn't be sending an email in that situation. The follow-up should be coming from the rep 
the rep then, and I have this concept or this idea of promotion and demotion, right? Companies come into market, they come out of the market, they're willing to have a conversation today, but they might not buy from you from a year's for a year's time. When there are opportunities to have a conversation, you want the sales rep to do that and take advantage of that opportunity, especially in an enterprise sale. Um, but once that conversation has been had, the salesperson is then figuring out exactly what that account needs, right? They don't need, they don't need anything for two years, right? They're under contract with a competitor. Pass that back to marketer. Note it down. Follow it up, right? Mm -hmm. um, the nice thing about um, our um, sales intelligence data is put them into a, into a program that allows us to monitor them for what they're doing over the next two years, because they might say they're on a contract for two years. Are they gonna start looking for renewal for that 18 months from now, 12 months from now? Maybe they fall out with that competitor in six months and they're going to just pay up the rest of the contract. You don't know that, but we will see that increased activity, which we can then pass back to the sales team. So again, marketing data coming in, feeding to the sales team and allowing them to react and um, in a way that is cost-effective. Um, and make it more likely to close, basically. So, so it's that two-way. The, the challenge, I think, that is always the case is, is at the end of the day, the sales team is targeted on revenue. Now, marketing should also be targeted on revenue as well as some other things um, at, a, at a company level. Um, but, um, but the day-to-day -day of sales is all about the more, at the end of the day, the more I do, the more I'm going to close, the more I'm going to get um close to my target and so and and it's all about being clever with it so marketing comes along and says well i want a meeting to just talk about the target my target market sales looks and goes i could spend an hour doing that or i could spend an hour calling what are they going to pick and so the culture of the business has to be one of it can't always be just about picking up the phone or sending the next email. It's got to be one of, look, this is a team. We need to come together. We need to allocate some time to this because what it's going to mean is I am going to get information back from marketing that is higher quality, which means I can make less calls, but I'm much more likely to close and turn those into. And that's what you're tracking at the end of the day. Um, um, and, and so it needs that two way. And, and marketing on the other side of that has to come and talk in real English and not throw um, marketing terms out that just seem like a waste of time, right? To, to take, to stereotype, which it, it, you know, to be fair, it rarely is like that on both sides to that extreme that I paint, but it makes it mm. easy to, uh, easier to understand. And you, so just to confirm, you said there were marketing kind of falls down into three, ba three main things. You said brand. So brand, that, long, that, that sort of, um, that sort of operational side. And the other side is, is sort of looking at market more broadly right. right so so where are we you know we're in this market today where are we going to focus next what's the next growth opportunity that we're going to go after um and so right. that for me is the three major and there's there's more than that in some ways you can talk about product marketing as well right where does that sit? but i typically keep that off to an aside that's a whole yeah piece. yeah and what about and what about the um marketing being being the kind of uh, champion or, or the arbiter of customer insight, right? Uh, and supporting sales teams with um, having the right data points, having the right insights, having the right talk tracks, et cetera, in order for them to have more powerful conversations. Because in B2C companies, that's very mature, but in B2B, it seems to be really immature in a lot of those companies. And in fact, 
you know, market insights or customer insights are, are sometimes pretty negligible, actually. You can barely find them. Um, yeah, what are your expensive. thoughts about that? Yeah, and they're expensive when you do find them. Um, or, right. and, and, and typically lagging as well. Um, uh, the beautiful thing of the internet is there's tons of data. And so there's some parts of it that marketing can um, bring to the table. There's some parts of it that product would bring to the table. And there's some parts of it that both sales and customer success would bring to the table. And, and, and the reality is, is that I don't think any one department is the sole arbiter of creating that marketing insight. I do think marketing should own. Yeah, the, agreed. Um, you know, own it all. So they should bring it all together and do the work on it, and then and yeah. then and then um, and then push that out to the product teams and the customer success teams and sales teams. Um, you need an owner, um, um, but I don't think for one second um, it's collected only by one group. It's collected. no, totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. And and I guess the question here is why do you feel that in b2b companies and i don't want to say all b2b companies no. right i mean this yeah, is yeah, not yeah. a generalization in it's any all way everybody but, with the same brush right exactly but but there are a lot i mean let's face it though there are a large number of b2b companies yeah that um where marketing don't have that mandate no and I, and, and and in your view why do you think that is because Everyone talks about customer centricity, but barely 1% of companies that I've observed and researched and, and, and engaged with across, so many, across all the 20 years that I've been involved in this game, yeah. barely 1% of them actually do so in the right way. Um, and some of them have a very warped view of customer centricity, right? So why do you feel that is? Why do you feel that some of, a lot of these B2B companies don't have one central owner of that information, at least to collect all that information and make sense of it and therefore be able to use it in a smart way well i think i mean i think in some ways it's also similar to the problem with sales and marketing being aligned and working together right i think the underlying issues are part are very very similar and i guess there's a bunch of reasons for that one is marketing actually from a b2b standpoint um you know it's it's relatively immature in terms of history I think. I mean, we're talking 20 years, we're talking a generation or two tops, mm. right? Mm. Um, so in that scheme of things, it's relatively immature. Um, marketers aren't salespeople. Um, they are marketers. Um, and, and so I, don't, I think a lot of the time, um, they don't necessarily do a good job of selling what marketing should be doing and just go with what they get given and fight against the small, you know, a smaller budget because I've got to focus on this and that and, and, and don't step up a level and go more strategically and, and bring that to the table. And I think that's really important because actually if, if the marketing leadership is not looking further out into the future, then the only other person in the business who can do that is the CEO. And the CEO is pretty typically pretty busy um, looking across everything um, and touching everything. And and do you think the CEO is open to the marketing person taking well, this, that role? Because is, I've heard of resistance there. Yeah, well. this is this is where this is where I think again the 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 relative immaturity thing comes in, is that a lot not all CEOs by far, and I think every year that goes by, more and more CEOs understand the value of marketing and and actually what it brings to the table. Um, but sure, plenty of CEOs just think marketing's a cost center, right? And 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 um, um, if I switched it off, sales would be fine. 
mm. which which is is I think to anybody we, who, who looks at it um, 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 sort of logically um, will know that can't possibly be true. Um, you'll never get enough brand awareness, never get enough um, um, reach if you only rely on your outbound sales team to generate all of your revenue. Um, yeah. And sure, there's exceptions. I, I know a company that has driven a billion pounds of revenue. They don't even have a CRM system. Um, they do everything off Excel. Um, yeah. and, and it's all word of mouth. Um, suddenly that, that market um, started to close up. And so they were looking at losing 70% of their revenue within the space of two to four years. Wow. Um, longer term contracts, so at least they had, had some runway to figure out what they were going to do about it. Um, but suddenly they're looking at marketing. They're looking at um, using a CRM system, unsurprisingly, right? And looking more broadly. Um, so yeah, there's always exceptions. But, but um, the good thing is, is I think the more sales and marketing work together, the more the success metrics align um, towards the business, um, the more value you'll get from both teams. Two plus two equals five. Mm. yeah yeah gosh i mean this has been really interesting uh riaz and um i can't believe the time's flown by already actually because there, there's a ton of other questions i can <laughs> ask you I, I think we can we can have a long conversation on this because there's i i completely agree that marketing has a very valuable role to play um and in fact i'm starting to see that if, if anything th those two competencies are starting to merge right i mean yeah. salespeople have to have marketing skills because they're having to influence the buyer at a broader spectrum of the buyer's journey than they used yeah. to do 20 years ago yeah. and the same in marketing you know marketing have to really understand the sales world in order for them to be able to serve salespeople in the better yeah. way as well yeah. uh, so I, I see that those two forces when they come together are very powerful um, but you know they've got to figure out how to do so. Yeah. Um, so 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 interesting to see that you have put this into a technology format where you're now starting to help salespeople identify um, you know when buyers are interested or researching about them. You know, be able to approach them, but also help help them by making sure that buyers are aware of them so that when they're calling them, it's not cold. When they're contacting them, it's exactly. not, you know, who are you? I've never heard of your company before. There's at least some form of recognition in there, which is which is a good thing. A um, couple of quick fire questions I'd really like, to, well, one quick main quick fire question I'd really like okay. to ask, ask you is, which is, um, and it doesn't have to be in marketing, doesn't have to be in sales or anything like that. But, you know, if you were to recommend two or three experts or books that have had a yeah. profound impact on you what would they be so i am very big on psychology mm. right and and behavioral science behavioral economics um, um because i think very often we get caught up in the tactics um and the next cool piece of tech um but fundamentally we're always dealing with people and so for me, the books that interest me are around um, how are people behaving? How's that changing? Because it does change. Um, and so I, I made some notes because I'm useless at remembering names. So I wrote, it, I wrote down um, a couple of books that I, I, I'm, one I'm reading at the moment, which is Elements of Choice by Eric J. Johnson. That's what I'm reading at the moment. 
Um, and the one that I, I enjoy, and I think actually the audience might enjoy, it's, it's, it's more from a um, brand psychology standpoint, I think, um, which is Why Does the Peddler Sing? Um, which is by Paul Feldwick. Um, and so both of those are good. Um, I got recommended a book recently, actually, by somebody who I would thoroughly recommend um, you listen to, um, which is a guy called Rory Sutherland, um, who is a big ad guy, really. But he, he's not. Like, like that's his space that he works in. But what he talks about is behavioural science. Um, oh, he's the host of... Um... Oh gosh, what's it called? Is it is it Ogilvy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's that symposium called that they do every uh, year? Oh, begins with F, I think. Yeah, I, I can't remember, but yeah, I know exactly. I know is it exactly no, what you not mean. F N nudge. It's nudge. The nudge. nudge that's that nudge stock. That's nudge it. Stock. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Already, yeah I, I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. They they bring on some really good guests. I think the last one that was this year, uh, they had Daniel Pink, and I think he he yeah. he's. He talks about his latest book, which is Regrets, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which, which I, I haven't read, really... but, um, but again, is on my list um, of things to look at. Um, yeah. So that book that Rory suggested was A New Way to Think by Roger L. Martin, who, who he actually puts up there as being one of the key um, thought leaders to, to read, which um, um, I hadn't come across. And so... Uh, thank you, Ray. So how, how can our viewers and listeners uh, learn more about you, get in contact? The easiest way of all is LinkedIn. Um, I am um, usually on LinkedIn, uh, probably spend too much time on LinkedIn. Um, I normally responsive on there. So, so message me on there. Obviously our website, um, radiateb2b.com. Um, you can connect and contact to us directly through there. Um, but yeah, add me on LinkedIn, send me a message. That's where they get hold of me. Riaz, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I knew this was going to be an interesting discussion and uh, you did not disappoint. Um, so thank you for uh, taking the time to, uh, to join us and share your, your insights and experience with other people. Thanks, Moeed. It's been really fun, actually. It's been a good conversation. I really enjoyed it as well. Great, great. And so this is Moeed Amin signing out. And if any of the uh, concepts of sales uh, and buyer journey and buyers uh, kind of selling how you buy, how buyers buy uh, interests you, then please do contact me. Link again in the show notes and we can talk a bit more about that. Until the next episode, uh, thank you everyone. We'll see you soon.